MIAA Monday back again this week on Monday that I'm able to actually do it on a Monday. So that's nice. As Mr. Mike Gracie joining me once again. And sir, thank you as always for coming on. You bet. Good to be with you, Chris. Uh, busy week still in the MIAA. I know we're getting close to the holiday season, the holiday break. You know, finals for some, from, for some schools already underway. Some are actually almost in the break at this point. But lots to still talk about. We, we, we should probably start with the national championship uh, match over the weekend. Uh, Washburn volleyball team making it down there to the national championship game. You were there. Washburn came up just, just short of the national title, but still an amazing run for another MIAA school. Yeah, great run, a great season by the Ichabods. Um, you know, I felt great for that uh, that group of seniors that uh, decided to come back and and play together and make one more run at it. And they had a great season. Uh, you know, they ran into a, a really hot uh, University of Tampa team uh, that was playing on their home court uh, for a national title. And uh, uh, the Ichabods came up just a little bit short. But, uh, you know, national runner-up, um, uh, you know, went through a grueling uh, MIAA schedule, uh, you know, then came out of the toughest uh, region uh, in Division Two for women's volleyball, uh, ranked in the top 10 all season. And, uh, you know, bringing home a, a second place uh, runner-up finish uh, for the conference. Very, very proud of, of Coach Heron and, and his team of what they accomplished this year. Yeah, I saw one of the uh, media outlets down there in Topeka post a, I think it was post-game, maybe, maybe pre, pre-game interview about why they came back and just how special this group was because of the pandemic you know, just coming back, keeping this group together, just seeing another team like that be able to stick together after the pandemic and everything because people didn't have to come back. I mean, there was the eligibility thing there, just but to see how much maybe a program like Washburn means to these student athletes, just what, what does that say about what Washburn volleyball is to them at this point? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, a great endorsement of what uh... – what the type of experience student athletes have in the MIAA. Um, you know, you've got a volleyball player like Allison Stadler at, at Washburn, who's in her first year of law school. And, uh, you know, she, uh, she decided to, to, to play her final year, uh, her COVID season, um, you know, while being a law student and, uh, you know, talk about, uh, talk about a heavy lift, um, you know, so just uh, one example of many of the sacrifices that, that these young ladies went through um, to, to, to see what uh, see what they could accomplish one more one more season having, you know, last year taken away, um, you know, by the NCAA and canceling uh, fall championships um, determination by these young ladies to come back um uh, give it one more shot and, and look where, you know, look where it took them to the, to the national championship match against Tampa uh, in Tampa on their home court. Maybe a chance for you to brag and boast a little bit. Now this is a little, another chance for the MIAA to kind of pound its chest a little bit, a, another national championship appearance for an MIAA school too. You know, like, I, like we talked about Chris, you know, great fall. Um, we had all of our team sports and, in uh in regional finals having won uh the the regional championships in men's soccer women's soccer uh volleyball um 
Northwest played for the Super Region champion against uh, uh, a very tough uh, Ferris State team that that'll be playing in the national championship game next weekend down in Texas. So um, a great a great fall. You know, we love we love to win national titles. Um, that's why our teams step on the court. Um, you know, student athletes come to the MIAA because they have they have a uh, a belief that their program um, will will have a chance to compete for a national championship. So, you know, second place is um, uh, not what uh, not what the goal is, uh, but certainly it's a uh, it's a uh, defining moment for all of these student athletes. One they'll never forget, and and certainly shows and demonstrates uh, you know a huge accomplishment for a program. Uh, to be one of two teams left at the end of the year playing for that national title. As we kind of turn the page on the fall season now, as we're in the middle of December and the winter sports underway, kind of already in conference play for winter sports two through their winter meetings for you guys are upon us. Uh, for people who don't know what those entail, I guess, wh what do the winter meet winter meet meetings do for you guys? Yeah. So we meet twice a year. Uh, at least uh, in person with our athletic directors and our senior woman administrators and our faculty athletic representatives. They all come to Kansas City and we have, uh, we have two days of meetings, uh, just like any other conference um, in the country. Any division uh, has either a, a winter meeting or a summer meeting or like the MIAA that, that does both. Um, over the next two days, Chris, we're going to talk about things like the, uh, you know, approved schedules for 23 and 2024. Um, we're going to we're going to receive uh, recommendations from coaches groups and volleyball and and soccer and and cross country. We'll spend some time talking about uh, NCAA issues. Um, we'll talk about name image likeness. Um, we'll have a number of discussion topics like uh, alcohol sales on college campuses. So it's really a time for our administrators to, um, you know, remove their focus and their thoughts about uh, campus activities and really come together and talk about conference policy, conference schedules, conference championships, and really provide the direction to the conference office on the things that they want to see um, implemented or started uh, during this uh, uh, upcoming 2022 year. Along those lines, uh, I guess kind of heading into these meetings, what's maybe some of the biggest issues maybe the NCAA is facing that would impact the MIAA at this point? Because we know it's been changing a lot the last six months too. Yeah, the focus of our discussions at this meeting are going to really be peeling back um, the recommendations coming out of the Constitution Committee. Uh, those will be voted on in Indianapolis in January. Uh, all of our schools will be in attendance. Uh, all of our schools get to vote on that. And uh, this is really a chance, I think, for us to um, have spend some time, to really dedicate some time to some in-person discussions about um, these proposals, how they impact our conference, how they impact Division II, and, and what does this set Division II up for in the future? Uh, where do we go from here? So we'll, we'll have all of those discussions, but, but really the NCAA focus at this meeting will be on the work of that Constitution Committee. 
with the Constitution, Constitutional Committee for the NCAA, I guess, what, what are we looking at with the in January too? Yeah, so the Constitution, um, the Constitution right now in the NCAA manual is about 60 pages long, Chris. And, um, you know, it sets forth a number of, of guiding principles uh, for the association. It describes how the association's organized. Um, it provides an overview of the financial model uh, for the NCAA and how Division II and Division III uh, get their resources. And uh, what the Constitution Committee has done is taken that 60 pages and they've really, they've really trimmed it. They've reorganized it. It's, uh, it's less, than, less than 15 pages now. Um, and they didn't get rid of things just to get rid of stuff. They, they, you know, they did a really thoughtful job of, of areas that could be combined, areas that really are no longer relevant. Um, you know, the last time we went through this was in the, the mid-1990s. So it's been 25 years since uh, anyone really took a hard look at the Constitution. Um, I think overall what it does for the NCAA is it creates a smaller, more nimble um, executive group. Um, there will be only nine members now on the NCAA Board of Governors. Um, there will be a student athlete for the first time that will vote um, on association matters. Um, there are a number of principles that are still maintained that must be protected by all three divisions, but it's not as many. And uh, I think the thing that really is uh, uh, empowering for Division Two, uh, two things. One, um, we protect our constitutional guarantee of the money that we get from the CBS basketball contract. Um, that did not get reduced. It did not go away. So uh, we protected that. But the, um, the new structure is going to provide each division with much greater autonomy. And um, the ability to identify and work on things uh, as a division without having to get approval from the other two divisions. And I think that, um, you know, the, the type of things that that might open for division two um, yet to be determined. But, uh, you know, one small example for, for many, many years, um, the decision on new women's sports to start or to, um, to move forward uh, for the NCAA had to be a decision by all three divisions that we're going to, we're going to start to promote women's triathlon or women's sand volleyball. And, um, you know, those might not be the right sports for division two that, that those may not be the right uh, emerging sports for women that we see on our division two campuses. Um, you know, maybe it's women's flag football. Uh, I don't know. But um, the new structure would give Division II the autonomy to figure those things out without having to get Division One and Division Three to agree. So that's the big thing that's being voted on in January. I expect our schools are going to support all of these changes. I think they're positive for the MIAA. I think they're positive for Division II. Um, but those are some of the things we're going to have to work through the next couple of days to make sure that we're not missing anything and no one has any big red flags or concerns that we need to look at. Is some of this for the Constitutional Committee, like we talked about before with Division One of the Power Five, of who knows what they're going to look like in five to ten years. 
does some of this kind of give them some leeway too that they're going to be more okay with staying with the group, so to speak? I think so. I think uh, part of what this is doing is allowing uh, some of the concerns that you hear from the from the FBS level schools, the Power Five conferences. This will give them mechanisms now that they can work through those issues within the Division One structure. And um, we'll probably see over the next uh, six to ten months that play out, Chris, um, where. Division one may look a lot different uh, from the way it's organized, the way that they approve legislative proposals, the way that they share money with each other. It may look very different. And now all of that can be decided just within the division one structure. It doesn't have to be something they worry about um, an association wide vote. So I think a lot of what the constitutional committee has done is help division one figure out a path forward. And obviously that's positive for division two. You know, we need those schools as members of the NCAA. We need to do everything we can to keep uh, KU and Oklahoma and Nebraska as members of the NCAA and uh, uh, to, to keep them part of our higher ed association and this constitutional uh, a vote that will take place in January, I think, uh, puts us in motion to make that happen in the next 12 months. Sticking with the win winter meetings a little bit here, uh, name, image, likeness is heating up. And I think last week or so, we've seen some stories coming out from Division One programs of how they're operating. I guess the name, image, likeness deals with Texas and the offensive line group. Are those things you guys have to look at as okay, what type of NIL is this? Is this an NIL? Or what kind of goes into that now as we get deeper into this where you have those, like the Texas offensive line group that's kind of offering the whole group when they come in or stuff like that? Yeah, so we're going to spend a, a little bit of time on Tuesday late morning uh, talking about name, image, likeness. In fact, um, our new partner, Open Doors, uh, is sending their team down uh, to have some conversations, not just about the MIAA sponsorship, but what Open Doors can do for each of our campuses. And I think, I think you're going to see more and more activity at the Division II level. They're not going to look like these deals that you see um, in Division I. Um, I think a lot of activity that will start to occur in the spring and the summer, uh, Chris, will relate to name, image, likeness opportunities for student athletes uh, to find ways to start their own camps and clinics um, and to make money, to monetize money off of, off of what they've done uh, in moving from a high school student to a, a decorated uh, a collegiate student athlete, they can now go back home and use some of that fame and notoriety uh, to put on a two day clinic and, and have, uh, have young kids come and, and, uh, and meet other college student athletes and, and get great instruction uh, in, uh, in not just sports, but life. And I think a lot of our student athletes are gonna find that that's a, that's a real opportunity for them to make some money. Um, and whether it's a camp or clinic they're doing back at their high school or something that they're doing in their college town, they can use their fame, they can use their reach, uh, they can use their social media presence 
to promote that type of camp and clinic and, and obviously be very successful. So those are some of the things we're gonna, we're gonna talk about on, uh, on Tuesday, just about the name image likeness opportunities that we see at the division two level. Is there, is there still that gray area that everybody's working through with name image likeness? Because I brought the Texas one because there's a lot of people thinking that's not a real name image likeness because it's kind of through Texas, but at the same time it's back and forth. There's still that gray area of where, where it stops, where, where it can keep going and how much the universities can be involved in it too. Yeah. And, and it's a real gray area because the NCAA has said that they're not going to provide any type of educational assistance related to name image likeness. If you have a question, you're basically on your own. And that's why the conference went out and, uh, and partnered with Empower You, uh, the, law, the law firm Siegfried Bingham here in K Kansas City uh, started an NIL compliance initiative, Empower You. And, and we have to make sure that our schools, um, when they're thinking about a name image likeness opportunity for a student athlete, it not only complies with institutional policy, but it complies with state law. If you're a student athlete in Nebraska, Oklahoma, Missouri, you have a state law that you need to worry about. Our institutions have state laws that they need to worry about. And so Empower You has worked with our schools and continues to work with our schools when they get these type of questions to make sure that these gray areas, Chris, uh, you know, that we're doing the best we can to advise our programs, the types of things that are consistent with policy as well as state law. And I don't think this will be a division two thing so much, but this may just be a roundabout question. The NCAA doesn't seem like they're gonna to get too much involved in discipline of name image likeness. Is it gonna come down to if it's a state law, if it's okay under that more than it is the NCAA realm? Yeah, you, 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 within the last week, you've seen the NCAA come out and say, there are a couple of name image likeness deals that they're not comfortable with. Um, uh, one involving the uh, University of Miami, another one that I think we've talked about before at Brigham Young University. Yeah. And uh, the NCAA has said that they're going to investigate both of those uh, to make sure that they, they are in compliance with the NCAA policies of you can't use name, image, and likeness to reward someone for their athletic skill, and you can't use it to recruit uh, student athletes. And so they, you know, they're, they're concerned about uh, both institutions. And I, I think we'll continue to see the NCAA uh, play a role in policing this, um, at least as it relates to the NCAA policies. But like I said, state laws um, and whether or not you're complying with law, it's really an institutional a conference issue. And the NCAA has said, you know, we're, we're hands off on, whether or not you're complying with state law. And that's where we felt as a conference, we really needed to go out and, um, and find a, um, uh, you know, find some attorneys that could provide us some, some guidance. One more question on name image likeness and we'll move. I know we talked about name image. I'm sure people are tired of us talking about NILs at this point, but it's kind of a tricky thing for student, from a student athlete's perspective, I guess, would it be when you hear that? Yeah. For being a student athlete, I can get, my brand built, but the NCAA is making from their perspective, it's you can't have this for your, you know, athletic performance. Is that kind of like a weird thing for student athletes maybe to process of wait, where where's this line? This is where, like you said, empower you comes into play, but 
on the ground at 10,000 feet level, it just kind of feels like a lot of maybe mixed signals for student athletes of, wait, where, where's this line at here? Yeah, it's very hard. And that's why with Empower U, we've done a few student athlete webinars and um, we, you know, we're trying to educate our student athletes as much as we can. We've, you know, the first thing we tell them is when you have an opportunity, um, you need to visit with your compliance officer on campus. In fact, state law in, in all three states, Kansas doesn't have a state law signed by the governor yet, but Missouri, Oklahoma, and Nebraska, um, state law requires a student uh, to, um, to notify their school and have conversations with the institution about a name image like this opportunity before they sign a contract. And um, so we're, we're helping our student athletes the best we can um, to really navigate a very complex and, and complicated area. And Open Doors is a great partner. We talked about them. They have a platform, Chris, where um, it's really like a job board of, of name image likeness opportunities um, that student athletes can access. And I know a lot of our student athletes are very active um, it's easy. It's easy to develop a profile. It's easy to search through and look at opportunities that you think you might be interested in. And then it's easy to take those um, uh, if, if you get selected and chosen to your institution compliance officer and say, here's what they're asking me to do. Is this okay? Can I sign up for it? So Open Doors and Empower You are both great resources that our institutions continue to work uh, work with. And I think it's why we've seen early on the MIAA um, have success in this space. And why is that important? This is the area, Chris, that recruiting battles and wars are gonna be fought. Um, you know, uh, a decade or two ago, it was facilities and how nice is your weight room and what do your locker rooms look like? And now student athletes at all levels um, including the NAIA, want to talk about, well, what, what can I do with my name, image, likeness? How can you help me uh, as a student athlete um, make sure that I'm maximizing opportunities I have in NIL? And um, as I've mentioned, um, the MIAA, we want it to be seen as the destination for students that want to win championships, get a great education, and maximize their name image likeness opportunities. Last question with the winter meetings, and then we'll get out of here on, on that part. We'll move forward to a couple other quick topics, but football schedules, is that going to be brought up at all? I know it's a highly debated uh, topic across the league. I know the last couple of times it's been a 5-5 dead heat of, do we open it? Do we keep it closed? I'm sure that's going to be probably brought up again in the future too. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. That is on the schedule for, uh, we'll talk about it actually this evening. Uh, when we meet and then the athletic administrators will have a chance to, to approve it uh, tomorrow. But yeah, it's always, it's always, a, a, you know, a topic of, um, you know, do we open the schedule or do we, do we keep it closed? And uh, we'll have that debate tonight. And, uh, you know, I got out of the business of predicting uh, schedule issues a couple of years ago. So uh, we'll see where it goes, but uh, you know, the, I, I think uh, uh, certainly the opportunity that we had this year to, to put three teams into the playoffs um, with a close schedule um, certainly adds some fuel to uh, the debate for those that want to maintain a close schedule and continue to do what we're doing. And, uh, you know, you need a lot of things to break your way. 
But if you've got three quality football teams that are deserving in the playoffs, like we saw this year, uh, the, the selection committee uh, did the right thing and, and provided that opportunity to three MIAA schools. So um, more to come, but uh, yeah, that'll be on the, on the agenda for tonight's meeting. I want to get you out of here with a couple of quick things. I know we're running out of time here. Uh, we see all the time, and you guys announced one today too, the, the, the corporate support you guys get from the Kansas City area. Just how big is that? I mean, number one, you guys, your office is, is in Kansas City, so that's probably a big reason. But how much does that help you guys in the Kansas City area and kind of keep things in Kansas City too? I like to tell our schools and potential corporate partners that uh, the support of of regional and Kansas City businesses help the MIAA be big time. And, you know, what I mean by that is that, um, you know, without the sponsorship and, and partnership with Citizens Bank, you know, we may not be able to conduct our basketball tournament um, at Municipal Auditorium um, without the support of, uh, of Siegfried Bingham Law Firm. We may not be able to do uh, basketball and football media days like we do them um, without the support of, of Hush Blackwell uh, law firm, we may not be able to do um, an MIAA Hall of Fame awards event at the music hall like we do it. And, um, you know, I've had a number of coaches that have, have been in division one conferences and whether it's a basketball tournament or media day or our awards event, um, they tell me it's big time that we're doing things like big conferences do it. And, um, you know, that's what I want. I want to hear that. I want the MIAA to be big time. And, uh, you know, our, I don't look at, uh, I don't try to keep up with, you know, what other division two II and three conferences are doing. I keep up with what other division one conferences are doing. And, and we're going to deliver that same type of experience in division two. And uh, yeah, today we announced the extension of our partnership with, with Hollis Miller, uh, a Kansas City based uh, education and sports facilities uh, architect firm. I think they're the best in the business. Um, uh, recent projects in the MIAA include the, the redesign of the Northwest Missouri State uh, football locker room. Uh, they know what they're doing, and uh, those are the type of quality partners Hollis Miller, uh, McGowan Gordon Construction, uh, Mammoth Turf. Um, uh, companies that are headquartered in and around Kansas City, but have a national reach, a national reputation, and, and, um, and want to work with our member schools, um, makes me proud that uh, those are the type of companies that the MIAA gets to work with. As, as we wind down here, uh, wild weekend of MIAA basketball. Um, number one, four-day state women. Wow. Nebraska yeah. Party, the Central Missouri-Missouri Western women's game. Just when we thought uh, MIAA wasn't going to be uh, any more tough or tougher, I guess you could say, if that's the right word I'm using there. I don't know. English was not my best uh, subject, but it should be. It's a <laughs> wild uh, – yeah, right? I'm talking for a living, and I can't talk. So here we are. Here we are. Uh, anyway. I know what we, you mean. I know what you mean, yeah, Chris. You know what I mean. There's always someone that's like, he's not saying words right at all. He's struggling. <laughs> but, wow. Um, almost lost my train of thought, too. Uh yeah, wild basketball. weekend. Yeah, yeah, basketball. Well, I know polls, rankings don't mean much in December, but still, you, you we're going to probably see quite a few MIAA schools 
in there pretty quickly, if not more, too. Well, we knew how tough the conference was and has been the last several years. Um, I think it was last year, Chris, we had a different a different school when our, our conference uh, regular season, conference tournament, and the regional tournament. Three different schools yeah. won each of those uh, 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 championship trophies. And um, I, was, I was trying to follow the action from – from Tampa the best I could. And, uh, you know, yeah, uh, Fort Hayes state number one in the country, uh, gets beat by Carney. Uh, we have a couple of undefeated or a couple of, uh, overtime games, um, Missouri Western, uh, I think maybe off to their best start. They're, uh, they're undefeated in the conference. They, they just got a, a big victory in overtime against UCM. So, um, it's going to be a crazy wild, fun, exciting year in women's MIAA basketball. And um, I think, uh, you know, uh, how this plays out, whoever comes out of our conference is going to be well prepared uh, for a uh, run in the regional championship and and hopefully on to some success uh, in the Elite Eight. But, yeah, the the MIAA looks like it's uh, women's basketball is – as crazy and as uh, as uh, talented as it's ever been. Not too many uh, games this week. There's still a few conference games on the schedule this week. We have Northwest Missouri Western here at the end of the week. But after that, there's kind of that week off for uh, MIAA Division Two. Why is that? That, that I guess the Division Two makes sure that there is that week off of getting away for a little bit, and maybe spending the holidays with your family too. Yeah, it's something that I'm very proud that we're the only division in the NCAA that provides our staff and student-athletes an entire week off around the Christmas holiday and uh, a chance for uh, uh, coaches and administrators to spend time with family and a chance for student-athletes to get back home and, and see their family. And um, uh, I, was, uh, I was part of that, Chris, when that got – put in place when I was working at the NCAA about uh, 12 to 15 years ago. And it, uh, it really is consistent with the philosophy in division two about a balanced student experience. We talk about in division two life in the balance. And uh, you know, this is one of those examples where we, where we actually live what we're talking about, you know, to, to give student athletes, whether you're out of season uh, a, a baseball player or a football student athlete or a basketball student athlete that takes a break during the middle of their season. Um, we, we felt that, um, you know, this is a time of year when people need to be around their family and friends and not, and not necessarily focused on their sport. And uh, I think our coaches have really enjoyed it. And, and Chris, the ones that I think most benefit from are the people behind the scenes that people don't see a lot of, uh, of recognition for our sports information directors, our trainers. Um, when our student athletes are in season and on campus, they've got to be there. And by, by taking a week off, our SIDs and our trainers that are some of the, the hardest working people in the MIAA, uh, they get some time uh, to be around their families and to uh, to uh, recharge the battery. So it's a great thing that we have at the MIAA. Uh, it's, um, it's something that exists in all of Division II and only Division II, and it's something I'm very proud of. Get you out of here on this. Any uh, special 
presents you're asking for for Christmas this year? Uh, you know, I'm a Packer fan, a Green Bay Packer fan. So uh, nice. A, a number, a number one seed, and uh, uh, a rematch with uh, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers in the uh, NFC Championship would be uh, uh, would be a nice present from uh, from Santa for 2022. So. Um, but, but really, um, uh, you know, I, um, uh, I'll just be thankful, Chris, I'll be home with uh, my wife and all three of my sons will be, will be back home and, uh, we'll get a chance to spend time together. And that's, that's really the only present I need is, uh, is to be around the people I love. And, and I wish, uh, wish everyone out there, uh, you know, happy holidays from the MIAA uh, 2021 has been a, uh, a crazy year, but also a fantastic year for the conference. And, and we're looking forward to 2022 as well. Hey, my dad's a Packers fan. I was rooting for Chiefs Packers last year in the Super Bowl because that would have been fantastic. Let's do that, it. That's what I wanted last year just because of the <laughs> offense. I'm more of an offensive guy, so sorry, defensive coaches. But well, Mahomes, Rogers, Super Bowl. Hey, if we can get it this year, let's do it. Let's do it. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. let's plan yeah. on it. MIAA Commissioner Mike Ritchie, thank you as always. You bet, Chris. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you.